The song that Bob just sang for us asks a series of questions that are really statements of Jesus' deity and how he expressed that deity in his supernatural powers and also asks questions of what theologians call his ontology or who he really was. He's the great I am is the statement in that song. Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels walk, where angels trod? And then that line that grips me so movingly every time I hear it, when you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. What a mystery. Mark Lowry's song, Mary Did You Know, raises these questions that are intended to point us to the unspeakable mystery of the incarnation. Or as people like to say at this time of year, the true meaning of Christmas, the incarnation of God becoming man. Or the fleshliness of Emmanuel, God with us. When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Let that mesmerize your theological senses. Now think about it for a moment. How many people would have interacted with Jesus over the course of his life, and especially the last three years of his life over the course of his ministry? Historians tell us that best estimates are that tens of thousands of people saw heard or witnessed a miracle of the Lord Jesus. Tens of thousands of people. But there was only one, only one person who saw him take his first breath and watched him take his last. Only one person who saw his childhood and maturity along with his miracles and witnessed his resurrection and most likely watched his ascension. And that one person is his mother, Mary. Now, as we discussed last week, and I won't take the time to rehearse all of that, besides the Lord Jesus, no other person in biblical uh, history, in, in the narrative of the Bible, has been so mistreated or been so misunderstood than, than Mary. History has definitely been unkind to Mary. Catholicism has blasphemously venerated her beyond what the scriptures say. And as a reflex, Protestants, by and large, have ignored her. I think it's interesting that I I find my own heart very tempted to preach a series on the integrity of Daniel, the, the glories of restoration in Peter or the reign of David in his character. And yet, because Mary has been so venerated, wrongly so, there's almost something in me that doesn't want to preach about Mary. <laughs> you know, I think that's a travesty when you look at her in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, especially the way she saw Jesus. Her perspective was unmatched and unparalleled. She's wrongly prayed to in Catholicism, She's wrongly idolized in Catholicism. She's wrongly iconized. You know what iconized is? To be iconed. She's made into little statues that are supposed to have power in the actual physical statue. She's even prioritized in Roman Catholicism 
above the Lord Jesus. The way to get to God is to go through Mary, who will speak to the Son, who will then speak to the Father. But that's a study for another time. For us, we have to be careful not to neglect her perspective of Jesus. And and I I just want to tell you, this has been such a a delightful and a heartwarming and a a mind-numbing study for me over the last few weeks to look at this. To use, can we say, a sanctified imagination, not to go too far, but to wonder what she wondered, to think what she thought, to imagine what she imagined as she raised the Son of God. She is the only one who was at his birth and death. She was also a witness to his resurrection. And as we'll see later in the book of Acts, it's very likely she was there standing who was among the crowd who watched his ascension into the clouds. Now, I told you last week something that was powerful from the life and ministry of Mary that that really had an impact in my own life, and and I want to rehearse that again for you. I was having serious doubts in a philosophy class in um, college, and many questions were being raised about the authenticity of the gospel, about the the credibility of the scriptures, and whether the the four gospels were historically reliable. And, And I remember just being backed into a corner, and the one sweet thought that I had that kept my faith at that time afloat was Mary. For some reason, it was toward the end of the semester, which would have been um, around Christmas time. I was reading in the, the narrative of Luke and Matthew on the birth of Christ. And it dawned on me that if anyone in history ever knew the truth about Jesus, if anyone in history ever knew whether or not he was a fraud, if anyone in history could have proven him wrong, or if anyone in history would have proven him right, it would have been Mary. We see her at his birth, staying with him throughout his life and ministry, as we'll see standing with him at the cross and believing him in the end regarding his promises. What did Mary know? I mean, it's great. So Mary, did you know? What did she know? I think she knew all of the answers to that song at the end. But I think she learned those things, the answers to that song, as Jesus grew. So what we're doing today is picking up from last week and looking at Mary's unique views of Jesus, her son and her Savior. Her unique views of Jesus, her son and her Savior. Now, just very quickly, I want to remind you of what we looked at in our first two points, and then we'll go on to the final three. First of all, as a favored teenage mother looking at Jesus' conception and birth. I don't want to go over it again. Hopefully you'll read it tonight or read it tomorrow with your family. This was a young teenage girl who was engaged, who an angel showed up and said, you're going to be pregnant without being intimate with a man. And the offspring is going to be the son of God. The angel appeared, well, actually in Luke chapter one. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the most high. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll be the Messiah. You are going to give birth to the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. In Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Have you ever just paused to think about what that would be like if that were told to you? Now, man, that's a bigger stretch for us. But you can put yourself in Joseph's sandals and think about that. This guy shows up. He's an angel. And he tells you you're going to be pregnant without being intimate with a man before you're married. Well, her response to that, as we looked at last week, is her, what's called her Magnificat. It's a, it's a weaving together of Psalms and Isaiah, the prophets. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 45, where she just demonstrates an unbelievable familiarity with the Scriptures that allows her to say, I get it. I know what's happening. I know who this is going to be. Her mind was already saturated with God's word, which allowed her to interpret this appropriately. And no doubt as she grew in her understanding, maybe read Isaiah but then or later, she would know, how about this? Ladies, how would you imagine knowing that you were prophesied in the Old Testament? That the virgin who will conceive in Isaiah chapter 9, that's you. She came to that understanding. Well, Jesus was born in very mean a situation, a very humble situation, no room for them in an inn. She gave birth to him, likely in a cave, put him in a feeding trough. Shepherds came to visit and see this little one. Now, this is for another time, but don't confuse the wise men who probably came two years later because they visited her in a house, and it was after Egypt, and it was two years and under that Herod decreed to Rachel's weeping to fulfill that prophecy. Mary and Joseph then raised Jesus. We know Joseph was involved at least until Jesus was 12 because he was traveling with him in the temple. When he got in trouble, they couldn't find him on their way back to Nazareth. I just look at this narrative. We read read this morning, Bob sang about it. If If you, if I, if we had wanted to invent If you and I had had a a conference with God thousands of years ago and we said, we're going to concoct this narrative where God's going to enter the world, would it look like Matthew and Luke's narrative? Not me. There would have been music and fanfare. All the news networks would have been there. There would have been a giant robe and, uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on this train. There would have been a, a massive celebration. And here he is with dirty diapers. The king of kings. She saw him at his conception and birth as a gift from God. Secondly, we looked at last week, she also had a view of him as an observant, contemplating mother, Jesus' growth from childhood to manhood. We know very little about this except the one instance where uh, they went to the temple and he stayed behind and they came to find him. We do know that he had 
brothers and sisters, at least half brothers and sisters. Uh, he grew up under Mary's watchful eye in a very busy home. Mary and Joseph had other sons, uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude or Judas. I think James wrote the book of James and Judas or Jude wrote the book of Jude. We also know that he had sisters, at least two that are referred to. Very busy home. And I, I just, what would that have been like to raise half a dozen children at least and one of them's perfect? Unimaginable blessing that she, that she saw. Watched him grow in grace and in stature. Grow in his understanding of God and his word and grow in his physical appearance. Well, that brings us to number three. Mary also had a view as an imperfect, sinful mother. Jesus' life, ministry, and miracles. She saw them. Now, if I were to say in certain Catholic contexts that Mary was an imperfect, sinful mother, I would be condemned as uttering blasphemy. But as we've already established, Mary was not divine. Not only was she absent of any supernatural powers, she was also a sinner who needed salvation from her son, just like every other sinner ever born. Now, in order to get a, grip, a, a, a kind of a glimpse of this, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We find out so much in the white spaces of this familiar story. Jesus and his family, at least Jesus and his mother, were invited to a wedding in Cana, which was just a suburb of Galilee. John chapter 2, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, now just stop right there. This has been so wrongly attributed as some kind of sarcastic response. The best way to translate this is not woman, it's probably ma'am. But it is definitely a distancing. He didn't say mom. He said, ma'am, it was a very formal greeting, not a sarcastic one. He said, ma'am, what does the fact that they have no wine, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. We find out there that there was an hour coming when Jesus would reveal himself as who he was. We also know this, think about this. What must have Mary thought or known or seen or observed in Jesus that would give her, lead her to the conclusion, he can fix this? Did he have a store of wine somewhere that he could go get? No, no, he, we find out he didn't even have a place to lay his head. What was she asking for? What, did, did, could he take some money and then go down to the local store and buy enough wine for the wedding? No, no. <laughs> She was asking him to do something miraculous. She had to believe. She had to have the faith to see that he could fix this. She says in verse 5, whatever he says to you, to the servants, do it. 
<laughs> she doesn't even wait for him to say, I- I- I'll help out. She just kind of concocts the situation for him. Now, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. This was to ceremonially wash yourself. Jesus pointed to him. He said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Notice he doesn't say draw out some wine. Whatever's in there, just draw it out and take it to the, the head waiter. This would have been an expert in food and wine. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, he did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good stuff, the wine first, the best stuff. And when the people have drunk freely, he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Not only did Jesus make wine, it was really fine, excellent wine. What's the point here? Mary knew, her faith in what she had known of Jesus knew that he could fix this. But like the disciples, as he tells them over and over, she did not fully understand that his mission was not yet complete until after his resurrection. By the way, if she were the miracle worker that the Catholic Church claims her to be, why didn't she fix the problem herself? In fact, if you study every verse in the New Testament, you will not find Mary exalted to the place of others bringing her honor and blessing Anytime. Yes, the angel said, you are blessed. Yes, Elizabeth said that, but that was saying you have been blessed by God, not you're the blessed one to be venerated. So Mary didn't get it. Simply put, I think there was a sin involved here. She missed the mark. Not only that, there was a place, I want you to see this in Luke chapter 11. There was a place where Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees and as he's doing so, the women who were listening to it are hearing Jesus talk and they get this idea, whoever was your mom must have been pretty special. Luke chapter 11, you have to see this. While Jesus was saying these things to the Pharisees, he's about to give them the series of woes. One of the women... In the crowd yelled out, raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. What is she saying? Your mom ought to be raised up as an exalted one. If there was ever a place where Jesus could have put Mary in the place of veneration and worship, it was here. But listen to what he says. On the contrary, we would say, oh, contraire. Blessed not is my mom, but blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Do you see what Jesus did? Do you hear what Jesus didn't do there? He had the opportunity to put Mary as the, the mother of heaven, the queen of heaven, and he didn't. He said, more blessed are those who hear and believe and act on God's word than mom. 
Why? Because she was a sinner who needed to be saved by grace. You know, I, I'm not going to go where the scripture doesn't allow, but there's, there's no doubt in my mind that she must have been, and Joseph to a certain extent, must have been deeply convicted by their son as he grew up. I mean, imagine, as a father, I've been so convicted by my sons when they do something that, that there's an act of integrity that, that in the moment is at a higher level of thinking in a holy way than I am. And imagine being that, having that perspective all the time. It must have made her very aware of her own need to be. Remember what we just heard? The child you delivered will soon deliver you. Give me a fourth view. And this is perhaps the most traumatic. As a pierced, wounded mother, and this is her view of Jesus' sufferings and his death. I wonder how many times Simeon, old Simeon's word, roll, words rolled around in her mind as she raised Jesus. He said, among other things about this little child, remember Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms? He basically said, the Lord told me I'm not gonna die until I see Jesus. Now that I've held him, I can die. I'm okay to go now. But he slides a little phrase into his prophecy about this little child, and he says, a sword will pierce even your own soul to Mary. He's talking about the nations. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the consolation of Israel and the Messiah's fulfillment of all that was promised about this great gift to the Jewish nation. And in the middle of that, he addresses her personally and says, a sword will pierce even your own soul. What would that be? What would that mean? Well, the fulfillment of this prophecy would be Mary's witnessing of her son's traumatic brutal execution on a Roman cross. Should be noted, people knew who she was. And remember what happened at the garden the night before Jesus' execution? What happened to the disciples? They ran. Jesus is arrested. He's in trouble. They didn't want to be. They left. Now, Peter kind of tagged along, remember, watching from a distance. But now it comes to this point. Tradition tells us that Peter was watching the crucifixion from a distance. We don't know that for sure. But what we do know is that John stayed with him and his mom. Where could she run? Everyone knew who she was. She couldn't cease being his mom. John chapter 19, we see this scene. It is a touching and gripping scene. John chapter 19, I'll pick it up in verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made for parts, a part to every soldier. And also the tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. I don't know who made that tunic. But I have a strong suspicion 
It could have been his mom. They said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. It's in too good a shape to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing standing by the cross of Jesus were, who's listed first? His mother. And his mother's sister, his aunt, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And then verse 26 gives us the most amazing insight into the Savior and Mary. I mean, think, Jesus is dying for the sins of all who would believe. He is on the cross. He is in immeasurable pain. He is suffering beyond description. And he looks down in verse 26 and he saw his mother. Pause. Imagine the exchange of looks that he and his mother must have have shared. I don't know what she was thinking, but you're seeing hands that she held that are pierced. You're seeing feet that she watched take first steps. You're seeing a head that she had kissed countless times, crowned with thorns. Oh, sure, the disciples were looking with grief, but can you even imagine Mary's multiplied grief? And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, standing nearby. And he said to his mother, same word, not woman, but ma'am, in very polite terms, ma'am, behold your son, Who is he speaking about? Verse 27, then he said to John, the disciple, behold, your mother. What did he mean? Well, John tells us what he meant. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure anyone but a mother can fully grasp the gravity of that scene. She's not only watching salvation be accomplished. She's not only watching the sinless Savior suffer, according to Isaiah 53. She's watching her son die. Donald Davis remarks, In that moment, the tremendous truth must have dawned upon Mary that he who hung upon the cross was not her son, that before the world he was, but that so far from being his mother, she was now herself his child. I think Mary got it in that moment. I think she understood. How do we know that? We know that from point five. Her view as a Christian, as a Christian, 
as a hopeful mother, her view of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. We're not told of the reunion that must have happened between Mary and Jesus after the resurrection. That was private. That was between them, but... Moms, can you imagine watching your son die and then he's alive? Again, this is another biblical sign as to the significance and importance of Mary in the church moving forward. We don't even find out about this. It's not even important that any of the, the uh, gospel writers or Luke records it. But we do find out something very interesting. Look to Acts chapter 1. Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. And let's pick it up in verse 9. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, and while he was going, behold, Two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men or people of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. I think about that often looking for the return of Christ. He's going to come again like that. Pronouns matter when you're interpreting Scripture. Look at verse 12. When they, remember that, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, just across the Kidron Valley, Sabbath day away. When they had went, in, went into the city, entered in the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These were with one mind continually devoting themselves to prayer. Who's with them? Along with the women, and I love this, and Mary the mother of Jesus and probably James or James and Judas or Jude, his brothers. If you follow the they's back up through that passage, John is telling us that this same group of people came from the ascension back to the upper room to pray and to wait on the Holy Spirit. Which tells us if you back it up, Mary is likely a witness to the ascension. And she's certainly here at the very end, a part of this prayer meeting to wait on the coming Holy Spirit. This is the last we read of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But this last scene is incredibly instructive if we look at it carefully. We see that she has faith, 
We see she lasted till the end. She believed Jesus' words that the Holy Spirit was coming. She was indeed delivered by her son from her sin, from her sadness, from her hopelessness. What we learn from Mary is that she believed that Jesus was truly God and truly man. We know that she believed that he was the only Savior. She was there at the end. I just continue to reflect on her knowing that she was the virgin to conceive from Isaiah 9. She gave birth to Jesus. She raised Jesus. She was present at his execution, at his burial, and she witnessed his resurrection and his ascension. Pope Pius IX said this about Mary. God has committed to Mary the treasury of all good things in order that everyone may know that through her are obtained every hope, every grace, and all salvation, end quote. Yet each time we see Mary in the New Testament, both her narrative and her words and her actions all point to Jesus every time and never point to her. Her song, her encounter with Jesus in the temple, her intervention at the wedding in Cana, her grief and lamenting at the cross lead us to Jesus, his mission and our salvation. They never lead to her in any special way at all. Yes, we should admire her as a woman of bravery and faith and her devotion to God. She knew from the very announcement of the angel what her life was going to be like. I mean, the virgin birth, can we back it up? The virgin conception defied all scientific logic. And they didn't have a lot of science then. They knew what made babies. And she hadn't done that. She had, listen, the most comprehensive, best view of Jesus of anyone who saw him in his earthly life. And her conclusion was to believe him at the very end and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which tells us that she believed he was who he said he was and her faith was anchored in him. Can I say it again? If anyone in the history of humanity knew the truth about Jesus, it was mom, it was Mary. And she believed the gospel truth that the writers of the New Testament inform us about her son. The child she delivered did deliver her. question I have walking away from looking at Jesus through, through Mary's eyes is do I have the same faith, appreciation, understanding that she did? She knew and she believed. She saw and she believed. She heard and she believed. She is the ultimate expression of someone who had faith and believed in her son 
as God's son. So this afternoon, tonight, it's Christmas Eve, tomorrow morning, this week, no doubt your reading, your meditation, your discussion is going to come back around this narrative of what happened. Remember that Mary is not just a figure in the birth, but her tracking through with Jesus' whole life is great evidence, biblical evidence to you and to me that he is who he says he was.